Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast contains references to violent death and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Saturday, the 19th of September, 1992. That was the day that a missing persons mystery became a double murder case and led to fears a serial killer was using an obscure patch of the southern highlands of New South Wales as a killing ground. The place? Belangelo State Forest. Before this day 28 years ago, Belangelo was off most people's radars. Though it had made news, bushfires in 1940 and 1965, a manhunt for jail escapees in 1952. When Belangelo was mentioned in the papers, it was usually in connection to camping or orienteering events. While Belangelo was unknown to most, the names Joanne Walters and Caroline Clark actually were known to Australians who were paying attention to the news in mid-1992. Both aged 22, Joanne from Wales, Caroline from England, they'd come to Australia the previous year, two of the 140,000 backpackers who came down under every year to have the time of their lives. The last time that Joanne and Caroline had been seen was on the 17th of April, after they'd left King's Cross backpackers accommodation, intending to hitchhike to Victoria and pick fruit. Usually the girls kept in touch with their parents back home, but there hadn't been any calls or any letters. In early July, police broadcast an appeal for help at the third rugby league test match between Great Britain and Australia when it was held in Brisbane. The police had been inundated with calls, but nothing had panned out. By the end of July 1992, homicide detectives had joined the nationwide search. On the 26th of that month, the UK newspaper Independent ran an alarming report headlined, Mystery of Britons Missing in Outback. The article explained that Joanne and Caroline were but two of several foreign tourists who disappeared without trace recently. The article included this, quote, The disappearances of other backpackers are equally bizarre. On Boxing Day last year, a German couple, Gabor Nugabauer, 21, and his girlfriend, Anya Hebshed, 20, left another King's Cross hotel to travel to Darwin. They failed to arrive, have not been seen since, and their bank accounts have not been touched. Another German, Simone Schiedel, 22, left Sydney last January to hitchhike to Melbourne, but vanished on the way. Her spectacles and sleeping bag were found in bush near Wangaratta, a town in Victoria. What the Independence reporter didn't know was that another young pair, 19-year-old Melburnians Deborah Everest and James Gibson, had vanished on the 30th of December 1989 after hitchhiking from Sydney for Confest near Albury. Seven missing backpackers. The article in The Independent included this detail about Joanne. Quote, Walters wore two rings on her left hand one buckle-shaped, the other with a stone, and an oval-shaped gold locket. 
Around 4.15 in the afternoon on Saturday the 19th of September 1992, Keith Seely and Keith Caldwell, both members of Liverpool's Scrub Runners Club, were participating in an orienteering event through Belangelo State Forest. Keith Seely would later tell the court, quote, We were following a map through the Belangelo State Forest and approached a boulder near a place known as Executioner's Drop. We smelt a whiff of something dead. I saw what appeared to be a dead wombat, and my partner thought he saw a kangaroo's leg. Then, it all clicked into place. What we thought was the kangaroo's leg was her elbow, and the wombat was the hair on her head. That night, police descended on the scene and, by the light of portable floodlights, confirmed what the men had told them over the phone. The decomposing body, dumped face down and covered with long sticks and a layer of twigs, was that of a woman in a t-shirt, jeans and Doc Martin style boots. She was wearing the rings that the independent newspaper had described. So, before dental records were checked, police knew they'd found Joanne Walters. She'd been gagged, sexually assaulted and stabbed more than a dozen times in a murderous frenzy. Joanne's body was taken from the forest on Sunday morning and a big search was conducted by police and volunteers. Just 40 metres from where Joanne had been discovered, two police officers found a second body. It was Caroline Clark. She'd been stabbed once, yet this hadn't been the fatal wound. The killer or killers had wrapped her head in a red cloth and shot her through the skull ten times. Investigators scoured the scene, finding an area between where the bodies had been found that they believed was where the women had been subdued and killed. Here, they found cigarette butts and a spent bullet. What the police hadn't found were any possessions belonging to the dead women. Like most backpackers, they'd carried a lot of stuff, and a photo of Caroline standing by a roadside holding up a sign saying Hobart showed the girl's backpacks, sleeping bags and rolls piled beside her feet. If those items could be found, they might yield clues to the identity of the killer, or killers. The different ways the women had been murdered, Joanne in a frenzy, Caroline in a cold-blooded execution, made police wonder. And later, forensic psychologist Dr. Rod Melton would offer the opinion there had been two murderers, one older and dominant, the shooter, the other younger and wilder, the knife-wielding rapist. The best evidence police had were the spent 22 caliber bullets removed from Caroline's body, because it was possible these could be matched against a specific rifle if it could be found. The discovery of the two bodies triggered a media frenzy and much speculation. Sydney's Daily Telegraph Mirror ran a photo of police at the scene and said they were searching for more bodies. Meanwhile, the Sydney Morning Herald said investigators were looking at possible links to the 1991 murder of a 30-year-old mother named Diane Panaccio, who'd been stabbed to death somewhere unknown and then dumped in similar circumstances in the Talaganda State Forest near Bungendore. But New South Wales police were at pains to deny a link to this case and said there was no evidence a serial killer was at work in Belangelo State Forest. Serial killers had preyed on victims sporadically in Australia dating back to at least the 1890s. But the actual term serial killer, its definition of three plus victims and the idea of criminal profiling had only been known in Australia since the mid-1980s. 
Just a few years on from that, we had our own modern example in Sydney's granny murderer, John Glover, who operated between 1989 and 1990 on the city's North Shore, claiming six victims. If he didn't make serial killer a household phrase, then the silence of the lambs did. The film had been a smash hit in Australia in the middle of 1991 and scooped the five major Oscars at the end of March 1992, just two weeks before Joanne and Caroline went missing. News about the discovery of Joanne and Caroline ricocheted around the world and frightened the backpackers already in Australia. An Associated Press report dated the 25th of September and headlined, Australian murders make campers backpackers jittery, began, most of the 140,000 backpackers who visit Australia each year know the odd chance exists of snakebite or crocodile attack. Now, they also are reckoning with the threat of assault. Why the AP used the word assault isn't clear especially as the bulk of the article comprised interviews with backpackers saying news of the double murder had changed the way they thought about Australia and had put them off hitchhiking permanently. On a bit of a personal note, I was from 1988 to 1994 a student in Melbourne, though I'd grown up in Sydney. I hitchhiked that route maybe half a dozen times from 1988 to 1992, sometimes alone, sometimes with a girlfriend or a mate. I'd opted for the cheap bus by the time the bodies were found, but the period in which I'd had my thumb out coincided with these disappearances. I hadn't known it at the time, but it sent a shiver up my spine whenever I've thought about it since. While leads about sightings of Joanne and Caroline poured in, most turned out to be mistaken or even hoaxes. But one, a sighting of the girls near Belangelo with a man driving a light-coloured combi van with a smiley face cover on its rear spare wheel had everyone looking out for this vehicle while police laboriously poured over combi registrations. Police believe the killer or killers were local to southwestern Sydney or the southern highlands, but they had nothing more than that to go on and searches of Belangelo had turned up no useful evidence. By the end of October, the search was over. Police said there were no more bodies in the forest. In November 1992, the New South Wales government posted a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of whoever had killed Joanne and Caroline. Despite this incentive, there were no breaks in the case and the Belangelo body story faded from the newspapers. By September 1993, only three detectives were still working the case. While it had gone on the police back burner, a local man named Bruce Pryor believed there just had to be more evidence out there in the forest. From media coverage, he worked out where Joanne and Caroline had been found and conducted regular searches radiating out from this point. Around 1pm on the 5th of October, Bruce Pryor found what looked like a human femur and shortly after found a human skull with a broken jaw and a stab wound. By four that afternoon, police had found two bodies, who'd be identified as James Gibson and Deborah Everest. The Canberra Times story the next day began, quote, Police have been astonished by the discovery of two bodies near where two female British backpackers were found murdered a year ago. Despite there now being no doubt that a serial killer was operating in Belangelo State Forest, police still refused to link the four dead tourists they'd found with the three still missing German backpackers. But they also wouldn't be calling off their search of the forest 
anytime soon. On the 1st of November 1993, a police sergeant found a skull and skeleton in a clearing. This was Simone Schmidl. Three days later, the body of Anya Habshed and that of her boyfriend Gabor Nugubawa were discovered in shallow graves. Seven dead backpackers. New South Wales Police Superintendent Clive Small said, quote, If you'd asked me this time last month whether there were any more bodies in the forest, I would never have expected to be back here talking about seven bodies. New South Wales police were now hunting the worst serial killer in the state's history. The remoteness of the location meant there was no way the killer had driven his victims into the forest in a combi. Police were after someone who drove a four-wheel drive, who had guns and who lived in the area. The confirmation that a serial killer had murdered seven backpackers meant massive news coverage worldwide, and that put the story in front of a British man named Paul Onions. In late January 1990, he'd been hitchhiking southwest of Sydney when he'd been picked up by a man with a big moustache who called himself Bill. Just a kilometre from Belangelo State Forest, this man had pulled out a revolver. Paul Onions had jumped out of the vehicle and he'd run. The man had shot at Paul, but he'd managed to flag down a passing motorist and made his escape. At Barrel Police Station, he made a statement. On the 13th of November, 1993 in England, Paul Onions picked up the phone and called the New South Wales Police. Not long after this, police received another call from a woman about a man she thought police ought to look into. This bloke, she said, lived in Eagle Vale, southwest of Sydney, drove a four-wheel drive, owned a lot of guns, and was really into shooting. Digging into this man's criminal background made him the chief suspect, not least because in 1971 he'd been charged with the abduction and violent rape of two 18-year-old female hitchhikers. Thanks to the incredibly cynical manoeuvrings of his lawyer in court, this man had beat the charges. But this case, along with other evidence, including what Paul Onions and the woman had told them, was enough for New South Wales Police on the 26th of February 1994 to put their chief suspect under surveillance. His name, Ivan Robert Malat. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Just a note before I go, like many Australian podcasters, my shows are labours of love, mostly supported by money I earn from other work. For the next couple of months, I'll be juggling Australia on this day and Forgotten Australia with a full-time day job, so I'm going to do my best to keep producing episodes as often as I can. Thanks for your patience and for listening, and if you've got a moment and you'd like to help Australia on this day reach more people, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.